Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with your treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life, you'll have all you need, just receive with a willing heart. You'll be set for life, you'll be on your way any day you decide to start. You'll be set for life You'll be set for life Joshua 10, we're in Joshua 10 today. I want to call this message, This is What Victory Looks Like. This is what victory looks like. But you know, um, a couple things I wanted to start with. I forgot to bring my little pager with me. I had a I had a pager. I used to run a paging system, and I wanted to bring it because I'm sure there may be some people here that have never seen a pager before. <laughs> but uh, I used to go around Texas, all over Texas, and I had to, uh, in the 90s, I ran a paging system, and I would go to every paging transmitter, and I had to calibrate every transmitter because they all had to transmit and send the data out at the same time, at exactly the same time. Well, how do you get them all to do that at the same time? You take a high dollar piece of equipment that costs more than you make in a year, and you go around to every transmitter and you calibrate it. You get it right on the, on the dot, then you go to the next one and you do the same thing with that same standard, that same piece of equipment. You calibrate it in. And so with that in mind, Also, I was looking online uh, and discovered that the average lifespan is decreasing. And for the second year or third year in a row, the average lifespan, it's dropping. And the U.S. is below Canada, less lifespan than Canada and some other countries. And it was amazing. And this was not a Christian website that I found this information on. It was not Christian at all. So I was looking, what is the cause of this? Did they do a study? Did they find out what it was? And they did do a study, and they determined what is causing it. And I thought, oh, it's going to be some kind of physical ailment of some sort of kind of thing, or, or you know, pollution or something of that matter. You know what it was? It was despair. Despair is dropping the average age. is The, the average lifespan is getting less because of despair, because that leads to to various deaths and suicides and, and depression. And then depression brings on the, the stress and stress weakens the body and all that. So here's what I'm trying to say. If I can get everybody, not just, y'all realize when I talk, I'm not just speaking to everybody in here. This goes out past, it gets on the radio. Everybody that hears me, if I can get you to calibrate to this message, to get in line with this message, then we can walk in the hope of Christ. The national average lifespan's dropping, but that doesn't have to be the case for you because we need to calibrate, and we need to calibrate to God's Word. Nothing else is going to fix it. Your 401k, the economy, your money, nothing's going to do it. All those things the world has, 
and yet the average lifespan is still going down. I, I thought we were in the most prosperous time of this nation. I, I, I think we are, but in, in a sense, financially anyway, but it's not helping people live better lives. It's not. Technology, you'd think it would make our lives better. It doesn't. There's only one thing, and I need everybody to calibrate to the message that God has for us in His Word. And Every Sunday, we'll do that the best we can. So let's calibrate together. And this is what victory looks like. Now in Joshua 10, we've been going through, that Joshua's been going through the land. He's been conquering all the cities, and it's a very bloody book. It's very rough. And they've been taking all these people out that have been in the land of Israel that are not supposed to be there. They reject God, and God's not going to let them stay. I'm sure God gave them time to repent. I'm sure God sent people to them to tell them, hey, come around, and they would not. Now judgment's here, and now Joshua's leading the armies of Israel to take their land that God gave them, and they were taking them out. Now they had a battle, and these various kings, these five kings got together and said, let's go after them. And they had this big battle out in the open, which was kind of nice. It was kind of nice for them to hate Israel so much to say, let's go get them, because that means they left their fortified city. Because remember, before they had to take Jericho down through its walls, then they had to take down the city of Ai, and it was a fortified city. Well, now everybody's so mad at Israel, let's just run out in the middle of the field and let's go get, get everybody. And, hey, we got them out in the field now. <laughs> go get them. They're not behind walls anymore. So God promised Joshua that they would take every man down, and the day was getting long, and they needed more daylight. So Joshua called on the sun and moon to stand still, and they did. They stayed right where they were. Now you've got enough light to finish the job. And so they got the job done, and, and, and they're, they're still fighting. So here we are now in verse 16. They're still in the midst of this battle in Joshua 10 and 16. These five kings that led these armies out to attack the Gibeonites that made a, tr- uh, a covenant with Israel is what is going on. The, 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 these five kings led this battle. And so here we are in Joshua 10 and 16. It says, but these five kings had fled and hidden themselves in a cave at Makedah. And it was told Joshua, saying, the five kings have been found hidden in the cave at Makedah. So Joshua said, roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard them. And do not stay there yourselves, but pursue your enemies and attack their rear guard. Do not allow them to enter their cities. See, they're trying to take advantage of them being out in the open. Do not allow them to enter their cities, for the Lord your God has delivered them into your hand. Then it happened, while Joshua and the children of Israel made an end of slaying them with a very great slaughter, till they had finished, that those who escaped entered fortified cities. And all the people returned to the camp, to Joshua at Makeda in peace. No one moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. After that, I would think not. Then Joshua said, Open the mouth of the cave and bring out those five kings to me from the cave. And they did so, and they brought out those five kings to him from the cave. The king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. So it was when they brought out those kings to Joshua that Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said to the captains of the men of war who went with him, He said, Come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. And they drew near and put their feet on their necks. Then Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. And afterward, Joshua struck them and killed them and hanged them on five trees 
and they were hanging on the trees until evening. So it was at the time of the going down of the sun that Joshua commanded, and they took them down from the trees, cast them into the cave where they had been hidden, and laid large stones against the cave's mouth, which remain until this day. Like I said, it's a bloody book. It's very rough, rough stuff. And one thing we need to learn out of this, if anything, is this is the kind of damage that sin does. Willful, unrepentant sin brings about a pretty harsh wrath, the wrath of God. And that's what we need to understand about our sin. So the next time you get an opportunity to commit a sin or decide to obey, make, have a moment of pause, make a good decision. Wait a minute. Sin causes damage. Well, how could Joshua kill all these guys? These guys were damaging. They were unrepentant sinners, and they needed to be taken out as God's command. But this is a picture of swift and severe judgment against the enemies of God. And people just do not take sin seriously anymore. They just don't. Matter of fact, the world says what used to be sin and that old obsolete, out-of-date Bible, everything that the Bible says is sin, it's okay to do now. Go ahead and go do it. Really? You think God's going to go for that? You stand in God's court one day and see what He says about that. And all the people that told you it was okay to go sin, they're not going to be standing in that court with you. It's going to be just you and God. So be warned. (laughs) They don't take sin seriously. Not enough to realize that this kind of great slaughter, as it says, was enacted by God Himself. God would never tell anybody to do this. Yeah, He would. And He did. I was talking with somebody not long ago about the concept of, well, it happened, but God just kind of, he just kind of allowed it. You read the, the, the story about Noah and the flood. Who does it say sent the water? It says God sent the water. God made that happen. God is very wrathful. He's very angry against sin. And if you think this is not right, well, be careful about what's not right. Let's think about what is right. What is right is that Jesus died on the cross. You need to get under him get in the, under the blood of Jesus, and you won't have to face that wrath. But it requires repentance. But Joshua had to execute God's judgment upon these people. And so he extended the day. Joshua had the extended day to fight when the sun stopped still. And Joshua's main concern was to prevent anybody from going back to their cities. We have to take them all down now, because if they get back to their cities, now we've got to go back to that city-by-city city thing. Now remember earlier in this chapter, Joshua acted quickly to take advantage of the fact that the kings and their armies were out in an an exposed, wide-open field. That was a military strategic advancement right there. They're in an open field, get them now. Well, we got to march 25 miles up, 4,000 feet of hill. Hey, we got to get them now. They're not in their cities. Now's the time to get them. So they went to get them. And so when Joshua heard about the kings hiding in a cave, as we just read, his response was just block them off. Block them off. Just put stones on the cave. we got to pursue these other guys or else they're going to go back to their fortified cities. Just block the kings off for now. The kings are not the main threat here. The armies are. You know, armies can still fight after the death of their king, but a king can't fight after the death of his army. <laughs> so we had, he had to prioritize. Joshua is prioritizing the army's full defeat first. So he tells them in verse 19, he says, after you block them in, don't stay there, but pursue the enemies and don't let them back into their cities. And so that's what they did. It says in verse 20, they made an end of slaughtering them. So Joshua goes back to the kings in verse 22, takes them out of the cave. 
And they performed what was an ancient custom back then in the Eastern times. The thing they would do is they would bring the defeated enemy out and they would put their feet on the necks of the kings, which demonstrated complete superiority to a defeated enemy. Imagine have somebody step on your neck on the ground. You're going to feel pretty (laughs) well under the guy, right? It's like, I now dominate you, is what this picture was. And so Joshua had his men do this because he wanted them to hear the same words that God had once told him, which was, do not be afraid or be discouraged, but be strong and courageous. Joshua wanted his men to see this real leadership moment here, a place to get his men to calibrate to this. He's like, guys, I want you to see this. This is what you're going to do from now on. All the enemies you meet is going to be like this. Now put your foot on their necks. He wanted them to catch a hold of this. And Joshua used this moment to get them to calibrate. Basically, he was saying, this is what your victory looks like. This is what victory looks like. Standing on these guys and I'm going to kill them. That's the way we're going to do it from here on out. And so... They put them back into the same cave they'd been hiding in, rolled the stones back over, and it says that's where they remained from there on. The stones stayed there. The kings were stayed there. Now, we saw a similar picture of this earlier in Joshua 8 and 29, after the city of Ai fell. It says, And the king of Ai, he hanged on a tree until evening, and as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded that they should take his corpse down from the tree cast it at the entrance of the gate of the city, and raise over it a heap, a great heap of stones that remains to this day. And so Joshua is continuing the conquest as he had been doing, demonstrating to everybody that this is Israel's land. This land belongs to Israel. It did then, it still does today. Now there's a lot of countries out there that I wish they would read Joshua and understand that God fights for Israel. And I've seen the debates on TV and in politics that that's not really their land. The Jews should really need to be out of there. Uh Uh-uh, it is their land. God gave it to them. He made them successful in this conquest. And anybody that tries to strike them, they're going to be in trouble. It's going to be just like this. So anyway, uh, let's keep on going. Joshua 10 and 28. On that day, Joshua took Makedah and struck it and its king with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed them. All the people who were in it, he let none remain. He also did to the king of Makeda as he had done to the king of Jericho. They hung them, took them down, threw them under a pile of rocks. Okay? Again, let's realize how much damage sin does. When you go home, oh, you're going to commit that sin. Well, nobody's going to know. Well, God knows. And here's what he does about this. He will send somebody that has nothing to do with you that if you don't repent... Somebody or something could be a circumstance designed to get you out of that, to make you stop. But anyway, he's, he's destroying everybody. Now, some people have a hard time buying this. It says he destroyed everybody. He let nobody remain. Well, can you imagine how many people were in here? Women? Children? Oh, no, no, oh you're getting insulting now, Ray. Now you're really pushing it. Is that not what it says? These were people who were not going to repent. They were going to actually turn and become a problem to Israel and keep Israel's peace from them. Do you want to live in your own home in peace and serve God in righteousness? When there's always those guys out there messing it up, something's got to be done. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to convey the fact that our sin causes lots of damage, and it had to be dealt with. 
And so he let none remain, and he did to the king of Makeda as he did to the king of Jericho. Verse 29, Then Joshua passed from Makeda, and all Israel with him, to Libna. And they fought against Libna, and the Lord also delivered it and its king into the hand of Israel. He struck it and all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword. He let none remain in it, but did to its king as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua passed from Libna and all Israel with him to Lachish. Y'all see a pattern here. And they encamped against it and fought against it. And the Lord delivered Lachish into the hand of Israel who took it on the second day and, and struck it and all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword, according to all that he had done to Libna. Then Horam, king of Gezer, came up to help Lachish, and Joshua struck him and his people until he left him none remaining. From Lachish, Joshua passed to Eglon and all Israel with him, and they encamped against it and fought against it. They took it on that day and struck it with the edge of the sword. All the people who were in it, he utterly destroyed that day, according to all that he had done to Lachish. Let's just keep going. So Joshua went up from Eglon and all Israel with him to Hebron. And they fought against it, and they took it and struck it with the sword, its king, all its cities, and all the people who were in it. He left none remaining, according to all that he had done to Eglon. He utterly, but utterly destroyed it and all the people who were in it. Then Joshua returned, and all Israel with him to Debir, and they fought against it. And he took it and its king, and all its cities. They struck them with the edge of the sword, and utterly destroyed all the people who were in it. He left none remaining, as he had done to Hebron. So he did to Debir and its king, as he had also done to Libna and its king. I think this army is probably very tired by now, (laughs) but man, they're just wiping everybody out. They're wiping everybody out. And he gave that picture. This is what your victory looks like. So let's go do it. Joshua here now sealed the doom of southern Canaan. He sealed sealed it for them. It's done. Now remember, this is because of a curse that was pronounced in Noah's time. It's called the curse of Canaan. And that was pronounced from Noah's son who mocked and seriously insulted Noah right after Noah's efforts of building the ark, which saved all of them. You know, you, save, you do all this work, save everybody in the family. The first thing they do off the boat is they're going to insult dad. That's not the right thing to do. That was a, a very, uh, culturally, that was, that was about the worst thing you could do. And so he had to pronounce a curse in Genesis 9.25. He said, cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants he shall be to his brethren. And so now all these years later, this curse is playing itself out. It's playing itself out in Joshua's success. Friends, sin is never good. Sin never turns out good. And it, it doesn't, well, it's my life. I can do what I want to. It, it's my, it's just me. You think Canaan thought about that during the time of Noah, what was going to happen all these years later? Look at all these people that are getting taken because they're under a curse, the curse of Canaan. They are unrepentant. What if I'm under a curse, Ray? What if, I'm, what if there's a curse that happened up my family line and I'm under that curse? Repent and get saved and Jesus will break that curse. That's your way out. That's your only way out. This is very good. So he's taken all these cities out because of the curse of Canaan. Now he told the men to block off the kings 
in that cave to go finish everybody else off before they get back into their cities again. Now, apparently there were some people that actually did make it back to their cities. We read in verse 20, it said, Israel made an end of slaying them with a very great slaughter till they had finished that those who escaped entered fortified cities. So some people did get back. They got back home. And so this is why Joshua is now going and hitting all these cities. He's going around knocking them all out. He has to destroy all those that got away. And Joshua is not going to stop until absolutely 100% of the work is totally finished. Because God promised him that all this work will be finished. Remember Joshua 10 and 8. God said, not a man of them shall stand before you. It's all got to get done, guys. It all has to get over with. And that's why he's pushing so hard right now, taking all these cities, because they've all got to go down today. And he's got an extra long day to do it. Well, that's the reason he commanded the moon and the sun to stand still, so that Israel could finish the work of God's promise to take out every man. And so in verses 28 to 39 that we went through, we see every city that Joshua went to finish off. It was Makedah, Libna, Lachish, Gezer, and Eglon. Joshua took out all the southern cities that guarded the south entry into Israel. And in verse 36 and 38, it says that Joshua also drove deep into the heart of the southern region and took it to the two major walled cities of Hebron and Deber. So he's knocking the whole whole south end out. Because anybody that's going to come in through Israel would come up through here. Let's take it all out of the south. And that was a strategy that I think Nebuchadnezzar actually ended up trying to do. Take out the south. That's a very military strategic move here. But I noticed that Jerusalem is not mentioned. Remember the king of Jerusalem, Adonai Zedek, the king, the, the Lord of righteousness, he called himself. Yeah, baloney. If you're the Lord of righteousness, why are you coming against Israel? You're a false god. Israel, uh, Jerusalem's not mentioned here. It's not one of the cities. There could be a few reasons for this that I was thinking. Uh, one possible reason is that perhaps all of King Adonai Zedek's army of Jerusalem was killed in the slaughter. Could be. And so they didn't need to go to Jerusalem. But however it went down, whatever happened in this case, we're going to see later in history, in 2 Samuel 5, it describes the, it describes the conquest of Jerusalem under David. David goes and he takes Jerusalem. And David makes that the city of David and decides to rule there. Plus, I'm inclined to believe that Joshua took care of Jerusalem's army according to verse 40. Here's another reason why I think they were taken care of already. Joshua 10 and 40. So Joshua conquered all the land. There it is. All the land. The mountain country and the south and the lowland and the wilderness slopes and all their kings, he left none remaining but utterly destroyed all that breathed as the Lord God of Israel had commanded. That's a big one right there. He destroyed all that breathed as God commanded it to be done. I stress this because I'm still trying to convince everybody biblically, I'm still trying to get everyone to calibrate in that sin is a bad, bad thing. Do not take it lightly. God sees sin like this. Take it out. It has to be taken out. Again, he utterly destroyed all that breathed as the Lord God of Israel had commanded. Thank you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time. 
unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you through a line-by-line, verse-by-verse study in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless, you are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.